This is Agent Morgan of the OBI. Agent Morgan, this is Adam Farmer. Do you by chance have photos of Ebony Airwood's lab somewhere within reach? Yes, I do, Mr. Farmer, but what's this all about? I promise I'll tell you in a minute. Is there a symbol on the floor of the lab that looks like the one on page uh, 124 of Ebony Airwood's journal? Hold on. Uh, there are many symbols on the floor, but yeah, I think I see one that resembles the one in question. But Mr. Farmer, please tell me what this is all about. It's a long story. From the wonderful land of Oz, this is Fiction Crime Time. I'm your host, Adam Farmer. Before this phone call took place, I had just found out the truth about Ebony Airwood's slippers. She bound a spell to them, using magic and a transmutation circle. It had never been done before, because it was forbidden among alchemists, and people with the ability to control magic naturally, like the witches, wouldn't need to harness it using a circle. Isaac Flamel told me that in order for the spell to be bound to the shoes, they had to be placed in the center of a transmutation circle drawn on the ground. It couldn't simply be bound by using a circle drawn on the shoes. The spell was too powerful to be contained in a small circle. It needed to completely engulf the slippers to be fully absorbed and bound to them. If something went wrong, the results would have been disastrous. The spell would have dispersed throughout the city, latching itself onto anyone it finds. Everyone would be able to control the motives of everyone else. The two powers would clash in a paradox and chaos would erupt. It feels wrong to say this, but the people of Munchkinland are lucky she was successful. That was the purpose of my call to Agent Morgan. This spell could have been a plan or a blueprint that she was going to make. I needed confirmation that the spell was in fact successfully bound to the slippers. And it was. The circle was drawn on the floor and the spell was bound. I even took the time to travel back to Munchkin City Field Office to see the photos for myself before heading back out again down the yellow brick road. As I sit in my hotel room about a mile or two north of the Poppy Field territories, I look back over the previous witness testimony through a new lens. The spell was bound to the slippers before Ebony died. Also before Ebony died, her relationship with Mayor Browinian had ended. Flash forward to two weeks later. They were on a date, and she was wearing the slippers. The slippers which can control a person's motives. I don't want to speculate because I don't want to believe it's possible, but is there a connection? The Mara won't like this kind of speculation, but I can't help it. I have to rethink everything about this case. Pick everything apart piece by piece from the beginning. And not just about the night when she was wearing the slippers, but afterwards. 
Dorothy stole the slippers and put them on. As the notebook said, whoever wears the slippers has the power to control a person's motives. It makes someone want to do whatever the wearer of the slippers asks them. They don't have to, but they want to. I look back at Dorothy's interaction with Bach and Onessa. Yes, we will never forget the sight of them. It was as if seeing them made us trust her. It, it made her seem so innocent to us. She could have asked us to do anything, and I am almost certain we would have. Looking back, those slippers, they frightened me. But they were, without a doubt, silver. Were the slippers the reason Bach and Onessa were quick to let Dorothy stay in their house? They are nice people, but I'm sure they had heard about a murder, even though they didn't know Dorothy to be the murderer. They would have been wary of letting strangers into their home. The logical explanation seems to point to the slippers making them want to let Dorothy stay with them. I mean, look back at how Onessa described them. She said that it was as if seeing the slippers made them trust her. Is that what it feels like? When a person's motives turn in favor of whoever is wearing the shoes, do they trust them more? This new factor changes the story, the format, the everything. I mean, who else let Dorothy pass by simply because she asked them to? I'll retrace my steps and get back to you on that. But now that we had a chance to look back, let's look forward. The file says that it was the queen of the field mice family who witnessed the murder of Bruno Bacchus, our second victim. The file says that after the murder, she not only allowed Dorothy to leave the scene, but she also provided an escort for her. Could this be another example of Dorothy controlling the motives of others? Maybe. I guess I'll find out when I eventually pay a visit to the Queen, if I can. But before I do that, let's get familiar with Bruno Bacchus. Bruno was a bobcat, or wildcat, depending on how you say it where you live. But there's been a movement lately in Oz where bobcats are trying to do away with the term wildcats because that name seems to cause people to form presumptions and stereotypes about their personality. Wildcat sounds more... Well, wild. So I will be using the term bobcat. So, Bruno was a bobcat. Contrary to popular belief, the bobcat and field mice families had good relations. They are the two most powerful families of the poppy field territories. They are both animals of the field, so they arranged a way to work together. That was until Bruno, the prince of the bobcats, was killed and the killer was escorted out of the field with a field mice escort. Tensions have been high ever since. Bruno's father, King Dimitri, blames the field mice for his son's death. Though it has not yet happened, there are whispers about a bobcat retaliation. Bruno was the king's only son, and heir to the throne. I need to be careful on how I approach this part of the investigation. I don't want to find myself in the center of a mob war, but there is a story that needs to be told here. Not just about a vengeful father or a motive-controlled queen, but a brutally murdered prince. On the eighth day of Emerald, in the second year of the Clover, at around 3.30 p.m., Bruno Bacchus was killed, 
just on the northern edge of the poppy fields. He was beheaded with an axe. Witnesses claim the killer was Dorothy, but the axe hasn't been recovered, so it could not be confirmed by fingerprints. After Dorothy had left the scene, the queen of the field mice, Queen Millie, contacted the coroner's office. The news didn't reach King Dimitri until after the body was examined, a whole day and a half later. To say he was furious would be an understatement. That's all that's in the file. After reading it, I feel like I have only one option of how to proceed with the case. And I'd be lying if I told you I wasn't scared. But I need to have an interview with some of the bobcats to try and get a sense of what happened after Bruno was killed. In a perfect world, I would be able to talk with the king. But Oz isn't a perfect world. So I settle with finding someone who has contact with the king and get a sense of how the atmosphere is after the death of Prince Bruno. If you like listening to me talk, first off, go see a doctor, because I'm pretty sure something's wrong. But secondly, check out episode 12 of Banterbox, a podcast for Mad Artists Entertainment. In the episode, I join the Mad Artists to talk about the movie Big Fish, and touch on the aspects and importance of storytelling. And while you're there, check out some of their other episodes. They're pretty awesome, and entertaining. So, check them out by just searching Banterbox, all one word, in your podcast search bar. My first attempt at the Bobcats was unsuccessful. I had to pay a tax to enter their territory. I call it a tax, but if it was an actual tax, it would be illegal. The Field families legitimized the tax by turning it into a business a mask rental business. Of course, anyone in Munchkinland knows that a mask is required for any non-animal to enter the fields because of the toxic fumes. So, that is basically the tax one pays to enter the field territories. After I got in, I tried to keep a low profile by asking around in the bobcat territory. But everyone seemed to keep quiet about it. I didn't push too hard because... I got the sense that I wasn't exactly wanted as it is. After many failed attempts, I returned my mask and headed back to my hotel. That evening, I get a phone call. Hello? If you know what's good for you, stay out of Bobcat territory. Don't go sticking your whiskers where they don't belong. Wait, who is this? How'd you get my number? We have ways, Mr. Farmer. Stay away from Bruno. Stay away from King Dimitri. Matter of fact, stay away from the whole family. You're getting into some real deep you won't be able to get out of. Go home. Oh, oh stupid pause. Stay away. Go home. Stupid pause. It sounds like I may have gotten myself on the Bobcat's radar. Someone must have reported back that I was asking around about Bruno. Or they may have known I was coming here all along. I haven't exactly been keeping a low profile. I mean, I'm doing a podcast. Everything I say here is public. But I'm still a little shaken up after that phone call. 
and I decide to call Jacob to get his input of how to proceed. You need to be more careful when dealing with the field families. I wish you called me before you went in blindly. Yeah, sorry. I guess I was just eager. Eager for what? To be ripped apart? The bobcats are no joke. They aren't only tough, but they're also patient. After Dorothy came into the Emerald City, three bobcat tough guys were knocking on the outside gate looking for her. When the gatekeeper refused them, they didn't fuss or beg. They waited. They waited there for a few days. Too bad Dorothy left out the west gate while they remained at the east gate. I get it, but how do we find out what we need to know? We need insight into the field families. Adam, you already shook the bee's nest and got stung. But let's wait and see if any honey comes out. I refrained from going back to the poppy fields. I took Jacob's advice, though I didn't fully understand his metaphor. I stayed in my hotel room to do some research into the bobcat family just to get a sense of what I'm dealing with. I definitely won't be outlining all of my findings because most of them are opinions and accusations denied by the family, so they probably wouldn't want me spreading any more of those rumors around. So, I'll stick with the facts. King Dimitri has a second-in-command. His sister, Carmelo Redtooth Gatto. They say she got the nickname Redtooth because her teeth are stained with the blood of those who crossed her. I won't go into the grisly details of the stories about the nickname because, simply, there is never enough evidence to convict her. So, she always walked free. But because of this past history, the authorities first questioned her about the death of Bruno, which, as you can imagine, made King Dimitri even more furious. The Bobcat family lawyers cooperated with the authorities, and it was surprisingly Queen Millie of the field mice's testimony that got the authorities off of Carmela and onto Dorothy. That's another thing on my to-do list. I need to find out why she did that even though she helped Dorothy escape. But while I'm writing that down in my notebook, I get a phone call. I heard you were asking about Bruno. The voice was disguised, and there was no caller ID. Yeah, but I stopped like I was warned. I know, but I don't want you to stop. What do you mean? I mean, I'm done sitting around waiting to go to war. I love the king, but he's driven himself mad with rage. And you say that because of the whispers of war? Whispers? No, there are no more whispers. Everyone is calling for retaliation. Plans are already being made. So why are you telling me all of this? Because I know there's something wrong here. Queen Millie wouldn't turn on us like that. I saw her after it happened and she didn't look the same. It was like a piece of her was missing or just out of place. When she described the events to me, it was like all she remembered was Dorothy and nothing else. Was this the Slippers doing? Did they cause this change in Queen Millie? It seems to be similar to Bacchino Ness's interaction with Dorothy. When she entered the house, it was about Dorothy and nothing else, because the Slippers made them trust her. But first off, why am I listening to this person? 
I understand why a bobcat would disguise their voice, but despite that, how do I know they are actually genuine about what they say? Every minute, police hotlines receive many tips on cases, and some of them may just be bogus. Pranks. Kids following through on a dare. So, how do I not know that this is what's simply happening here? I guess it would be pointless to ask who you are. You know I can't tell you that. There's no telling what would happen to me if I told you. Yeah, I get it, but do you understand the corner you've put me in? You can either be a genuinely concerned bobcat, or you could be a jokester, simply wasting my time. The only person wasting time here is you, sitting around your hotel room, doing nothing while war is happening in the fields. Wait, how'd you know I was in my hotel room? Immediately, I go to the window to look for a payphone on the street or anything. Whoever that was knew I was here, so they were watching me. But I see nothing. I start feeling very uneasy as I lock all the locks on my door. What made me the most uneasy is that I still don't know whether they were genuine, joking, or simply crazy. I call Jacob again to get a sense of what I need to do next. He tells me what I feared he would say. He told me that they would call back. They always do. He says that they must have been genuine. I played the recording for him, and he didn't sense any indications that this wasn't a genuine call. But that doesn't make it any less weird or frightening. I mean, even if it was a genuine call, why would they be watching my hotel? What would be the purpose of stalking me, like a bobcat stalking their prey? Eventually, the next day, Jacob's prediction came true. Are you ready to take me seriously? Hey, I'm the investigator. I asked the questions. Now, I'll take you seriously when you tell me why you've been watching me. Honestly, because I know that they were. I wanted to make sure none of the eager foot soldiers wanted to prove themselves. Then why not call them off? Clearly, you have power over them. What are you? One of the captains? Maybe even a general? That's not the point. If we do, I'll come under suspicion. But I guess that's going to be too late anyways. The king heard that I talked to Queen Millie after Bruno's death. I had to leave. Leave? Wait, are you in danger? Does the OBI know about this? You don't understand. This is more than just Bruno's death. I don't even think it was Dorothy who did it. Wait, why not? I mean, you said it yourself that Queen Millie saw it happen. I said that she said it happened. I didn't say it did. Look, there's been some deals going on no one was supposed to know about. Bruno was in negotiations with the Lion family of the Blood Force. They were trying to get an arrangement, a smuggling operation, to get poppy seeds across the border. Poppy seeds are typically used for certain medicinal purposes. While they can be prescribed by a doctor, their commercial use and distribution is illegal in the lands of the North, South, and West, including the Emerald City. Because the poppy flower grows naturally in Munchkin land, they are commercially legal here, with certain restrictions. But this caller is talking about illegal smuggling between two powerful families. There's no way this can end well. Before the plans were finalized, King Dimitri found out. Bruno was handling the whole operation behind the king's back, because the king has always been against that kind of business. 
It brings too much unwanted attention. Well, as you can expect, the Lions weren't too happy about that. They would try anything to get that deal. Like what? Anything. All I know is I overheard Bruno arguing with someone over the phone. They were talking about money. It seemed like Bruno was asking for some more money, but was getting turned down. During the phone call, I heard a roar on the other end. Sure, it could have been either lions, tigers, or bears, but I'm leaning more towards the lions because of the past history. Now the conversation ended with Bruno angrily hanging up the phone. This was two days before he was killed. If he offended the lions in any way, well, let's just say lions are a proud family, and they're known to hold a grudge. So you think they would kill over dispute over money? There are three main reasons any of the families kill. Revenge, love, and money. If all of this is true, then why have you not gone to the OBI? Because the family will know exactly where to find me. No, the OBI has witness protection. They can keep you safe. I don't know. I continued trying to convince them to go to the OBI with this information to no success. The call ends with me still wondering who this caller is, how they got close enough to Bruno to hear a phone conversation. I'm also wondering whether their information is reliable, whether I should consider that maybe Bruno was killed by the lions, or simply just not killed by Dorothy. There is a possibility. I mean, I guess if the big cats can use phones, then they can easily pick up and use an axe. And the motivation is there. If only we had the murder weapon. That would bring everything together. Fingerprints, ownership. If we had the axe, it would all come together. I think these thoughts until I fall asleep. And... I wake up to the sound of my phone ringing. Hello? I did what you suggested. I turned over the information. Wait, I recognize your voice. Aren't you the person who told me to stay away? I swear I was just following orders, but I was tired of it all, which is why I called again. But I needed to disguise my voice. I couldn't risk anyone recognizing me until now. So that was you? Yeah. So, who are you? How were you able to get so close to Bruno, to Millie, to the king and the rest of the family? It was actually very easy because, well, I'm the king's sister. You probably know me as Carmela Redtooth Gattle, the bloodthirsty right hand of the Bobcats. Thanks for listening to Fiction Crime Time. This episode was written and narrated by me, Adam Farmer. It featured the voice talents of Michelle Lee, Mitchell Witcher, and Jacob Segura. Go follow them on social media. Their links are in the description, so go send them some love. Also, be sure to follow Fiction Crime Time on social media so you can see any additional case materials and other announcements. Look for us at Fiction Crime Time on Instagram and Facebook and at untrue underscore crime on Twitter. Tweet at us with your theories and thoughts about the case, or any good memes. We love a good laugh.
A new episode will be released every other week, so be on the lookout for episode 7 on March 30th. And, as always, remember that everyone has a story to tell. So, don't be shy. Go out and tell yours. Thanks again for listening.